Hi, and welcome to another episode of Gomology. My guest this week is um, an optical gent um, from the company Kirk & Kirk. Jason, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, Nick. Yeah, my name's Jason Kirk. I'm the managing director of, of Kirk & Kirk over in England. And uh, your business is spectacular. <laughs> You couldn't resist it, could you? So we design no. <laughs> uh, we design eyewear. We design glasses and sunglasses. And uh, yeah, my, my family's been doing that for a hundred years. So my, my grandfather started a, a factory with his brother, a company called Kirk Brothers, back in uh, the east end of London, back in 1919. And they quickly built up a business that was making glasses all over the world and, and helping other people set up eyewear factories as well. Um, it was a very kind of very different world, a very magnanimous approach to an industry. Um, people that, that we would consider competition today, they would actually help them set up so that London would become a centre of excellence for optics. So it's a really cool, um, really cool approach to, to business and something that Karen and I, Karen's my, my partner and my wife uh, in this business, she's the creative director. Um, principles that, that Sydney and Percy had back in the 1920s and 30s, we try and, and maintain those ideas today. It's interesting, it's fun. So what is the business like today? Um, well, it's not the same business, just to point out. It's not the same company as my grandfather had, but my, my dad was an optician as well. Um, we try to, uh, use the phrase that we use, we try to inspire and excite with eyewear. So we're, a, we're a small, independent company. We produce all of our glasses in France from start to finish, so quality is really important to us. Um, but really, it's about, it's about emotion. It's about changing the way that people feel about eyewear. So historically, there's been um, an approach that eyewear is a kind of uh, a necessity or a medical necessity and people wouldn't wear glasses unless they really needed to. And then they would try and wear something that kind of disappears into the ether, um, which is something that you can't do. If you're wearing something on your face, then it's visible. So it needs to be something that reflects your personality, something that you enjoy wearing. Um, you know, why should it be any different to a pair of shoes or, or a shirt or a tie? Um, it, it needs to be something that you enjoy and that reflects who you are. And who you are and how you feel is different at different times, different environments. So all that needs to be taken into consideration. And, and we try and produce eyewear that, that allows people that capacity. Is uh, eyewear also sort of a fashion item? Oh, very much so. Um you know, I wake up, and I'm in a very lucky position. I have lots of pairs of glasses and I wake up in the morning and I decide what I'm going to wear. And um, it's not just because I'm a, in eyewear that that happens. I've got plenty of clients who make that decision in the morning as well. Um, it's how you look. You know, I think about what I'm wearing that day, but I also think about where I'm going. I think about where I'm, how I'm feeling, um, who I'm going to be with. Uh, I might not necessarily wear one frame during the day, I might change it up. I might, depending on, on, on what's going on in my world that day. So, yeah, I mean, it, it is a fashion item. It does have a medical requirement, and we should never negate or, or denigrate uh, what the optician's contribution is on the medical side to what eyewear does, because it's a huge necessity. And, and I should point out as well um, that opticians save people's lives by finding uh, uh, finding out about people's health. Um, general body health through their eyes. It's a hugely important function that shouldn't be neglected. Um, but actually, you house that medical aspect in something fashionable. So the decision that you make and the whole process that you go through 
in choosing glasses is hugely important for how you feel afterwards. Right. I have this problem, question, something or other that I have on occasion gone into an optician where they advertise that they have a styling consultant. Right. Now, this will be someone who then proceeds to try on pretty much every frame they have in the shop on my face and will select a few, which they reckon suits me. Is this an actual sort of skill or thing or or is it all down to personal preference? It's a, a really good question. And I think the answer is it can be a skill uh, and it can be something that you learn to a certain extent, but yeah, it changes for each individual. So, so for the individual, for the consumer, for you, you know about fashion, you have very strong feelings about what you enjoy, what you want to wear. You're also open-minded to being shown other things. But it's really important that the person on the other side who's showing you products really understands, gets to understand you. I mean, there's no, you know, that, that old fashioned notion about, oh, you've got a square face, you should have rectangular frames or round face oval frames. It's so old fashioned. You know, it, you think you think about buying a pair of trousers or something and, and someone says, oh, what shape are your thighs? Oh, you better have baggy trousers. It, it doesn't work like that because, you know, it's, at some points it's, it, it's fashionable to have straight trousers and other times it's, it's fashionable to have baggy trousers. It doesn't, it doesn't work. And so the stylist in the optician, there are some really good stylists around. And that's just, for me, that's kind of a coincidence. They're optical people who happen to have good style. Um, but generally speaking, I think there's so much access to information. You know, you can go online and, and you can search for colorful glasses or you can search for um, uh, stylish people wearing glasses, for example. And you can see people wearing things that you might not have considered and you can discover brands and you can go and look at their site uh, or their Instagram page and, and you can find out what feels right to you. And it's you can start that process going and then you go to the optician and if they have a stylist, and I was waving both my fingers in the air at that point when I said stylist, <laughs> if they have a stylist, you can decide how much confidence you have in them. Well, I do quite a lot of talks working with independent opticians about how um, how they should interact with, with consumers. And one of the things is, is that we talk about the way that they approach the consumer and the way that they dress and the way that they sound. Um, all of those things are important because they need to build confidence in that relationship in both directions. And if you as a, as a glasses wearer don't feel confident that the style of the person who's telling you which glasses you should be wearing um, reflects your style or that they understand your style then then it doesn't work mm, good point it struck me while you were talking that would the smiths smiths have been as large as they were if morrissey hadn't been wearing his uh, nhs uh, specs or, or was that an essential part of them yeah i mean I, you know it's, it's part of a look isn't it? i mean you might have got away with it just with the gladioli but it it's part of a whole look i mean you look at someone like robert downey jr and and glasses are really very much part of of what he wears and how he looks um and the impression that you get from him you know, when i go to a meeting if i'm going to a meeting with let's say the bank or a finance house or something i want to look a certain way i want to dress a certain way um i want to say that i'm professional um, but that I'm fun and I'm accessible and, and those things. And then other times I might go to a bar or a party 
and it's more you, you kind of lose that professional side and it's like well okay so um, uh, I'm approachable I'm fun I'm you know like some, I'm someone you want to talk to at the party and all of those things the, the first thing that people see when they look at you is your face is your you know they look into your eyes hopefully when you're having a conversation with them so that choice about what you wear is really really important and when you take um, musicians for example actors for example um, and they're very very visible and glasses become an integral part of, of their persona then it's hugely important yeah so I think what you're saying there is that there's a difference between wearing the glasses in a way where you're really trying not to be seen to be wearing glasses, so they're sort of hidden and wearing glasses as a statement or accessory or something that you want to be noticed. I think you can't hide them. You can't hide the fact that you're wearing glasses. I mean, you can, okay, you can wear contact lenses, um, but you shouldn't, for health reasons, wear contact lenses all the time. You need to wear glasses at some point. So if you're going to wear glasses, wear something that reflects you that you enjoy wearing it's it's really simple i remember recently i was looking at some was it french american titanium frames very expensive but they were so exquisitely engineered that i think i i wanted them just for the engineering and i'm not sure what they'd look like on but they were just so nicely made in japan i mean it was ticking all my boxes on every level uh, i didn't get them though they were too expensive for me oh, there, there are products like that and why shouldn't that be the same with glasses you know i was looking at um an advert appeared on, on one of my social media feeds and it was for um, this beautiful tool for drawing circles now I don't, I don't have much call to draw circles, but at the same time, this 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 tool was so intricate and beautifully crafted, and it was just, I just thought, yeah, I I, I, want, I want that. I just want to be able to reach that on my shelf. So why shouldn't that be the same with glasses? If something is beautifully crafted, um, and there's there's pride gone into that product, and you can see that it's different and that it it's you, it reflects your values, then yeah, glasses should be the same as anything else. Yeah. Speaking of the price of glasses, though, why are glasses so expensive? Or are they expensive? Well, that's a better question. Um, you, you can buy glasses, you know, you can whip down to one of your local chains and probably pick up a pair of glasses for 20, 30 quid, or you can buy them online for less than a tenner. Um, and you can also spend thousands of pounds on glasses. And most of the time, just like in, in any aspect of fashion, you get what you pay for. And, um, but the, the interesting issue that I try and take head on a lot of the time is that the public don't necessarily have access to understanding what it is that you actually should be looking for, what you should be paying for, the construct of a pair of glasses. Um, most glasses are made in the Far East and there's absolutely no problem with that at all because you get great quality in the Far East and you get terrible quality in the Far East. Um, my company chooses to make all our glasses in France. Um, but again, you can find fantastic quality in France and terrible quality in France. So you have to try and understand and look at the product and, and um, ask the right questions of the optician to understand whether something that's in the price bracket that you're looking at actually justifies that price bracket. You know, How well constructed is it? How sturdy is it? Um, are the joints pinned or are they glued on or... or you know, how does how does that work? Um, does the material feel? Uh, does it feel strong? Does it feel as if it's going to last? Is it durable? 
Um, all of these things are really, really important. And, and ask the optician when you're thinking about making that purchase or you know, perhaps you're buying your glasses online. But try and ask those very, very direct questions and, and, and get a direct answer. I suspect that uh, often the very obvious but none eyewear related logo stuck on the side also has some impact there. Yeah, you know, like any any clothing item, you will pay for a brand or, or you might pay for a brand, you know, especially if the brand is conspicuous. And uh, it's quite rare that a household brand, let's take, um, I don't know, let's, let's, let's make some, let's make up a, a fictional brand and, and, and deal with this. You know, if, you, if you're, um, I don't know, um, David Armani, for example, and you're a fantastic clothing designer, and all of a sudden there's a, uh, a range of glasses out there called David Armani. The chances are that really David doesn't know all that much about eyewear design because it's an entirely different discipline, and that one of the big companies has bought the license for his brand and stamped his name on the outside to try and gain sales on on the basis of reputation. Well. You know, I've just described what happens in so many industries across the world, and, and you choose what you pay for. Um, generally speaking, that you will get a better quality product and better value from an independent maker who specializes in actually designing and making frames for the integral qualities of those frames, not because of the label. Because the company making those frames with David Armani on the side are, of course, paying a chunk of the profits to David for the use of his name. And also, you know, they'll, they'll, be, they'll be, generally speaking, and I, and I can't speak on behalf of those companies, but the, the reputation of that kind of company is such that they will um, produce a product which is, uh, let's say, cost-efficient uh, and, and have as big a margin as they can because of the name. And, you know, and it's, it's sad because people, people get comfort from names. Well, it's, you don't have to delve very far into the optical market and you don't have to have many conversations with people who know what they're talking about to realize that it's, not, it's very far from about the name. In fact, it's quite the opposite. And when you walk into a major chain on the high street and you see 500 pairs of glasses on display and there are names that you recognize like household fashion names that you recognize you do feel comforted by that and you think well if they've got this many frames here and there are names that i know well this must be the whole universe of frames and actually it's really not and just like anything else when you scratch beneath the surface you can find amazing independent opticians who will carry six eight ten independent brands of glasses that will explain to you the, the benefits of each brand and whether or not they work for you, um, whether there's an advantage in you paying a little more, because inevitably you will, um, but you're paying for quality and style and knowledge and experience. I would, I'll never forget finding this tiny little workshop in Copenhagen. Uh, I think it was uh, his name was Rasmus Kold, um, a Norwegian and a Dane run this company, and they were making frames out of horn individually made for each client mm. and that was another one of these ones where i thought wow i'd really like one of these yeah. and i mean they were more expensive than regular but they weren't sort of super expensive when you sort of start thinking that it's something really special because we do have a tendency to prefer quantity over quality um if we can get three of something at a lower price which would have bought us something really special. We'll tend to go for the for the three, but uh, someday I'd like to go back there and 
glasses made by him. It's a choice that people make, isn't it? I mean, you know, you look at denim. Denim is a great example of, of, of this. I mean, you can buy, it's very easy to find denim with labels and names and it suggests to you a certain quality or a certain style or, or, or something about that product. But actually, I, you know, for me, when I buy denim, I look at the weight of the denim. I look at the fixings. Uh, and I make my decision based on that. And I, you know, I've discovered some really interesting brands um, just by just by following a chain down the internet, going down a rabbit hole, and finding beautifully made products. And that's far more important to me than than what's written on the back pocket. Uh, you're a kindred spirit here. My wife keeps mocking me in my car bottom trousers. <laughs> <laughs> she she can't understand how I can wear these heavy denims. But for me, it it gives a sense of um, comfort plus they help me stand up straight <laughs> yeah absolutely no i mean you, you get you get like most things you get what you pay for but i think the processing glasses is needs to be i mean the, the, the access to information thing is so important and it needs to be that that you as a consumer start the process on your own you just go online and you search and you look and you you see some people you know I, I love this thing I used to have we had uh, shops back in on back in the day in London we don't have any retail anymore but people would come into the shop with a magazine like a paper printed magazine with a picture of some hero wearing a pair of glasses saying I want those glasses and they look nothing like this person but this assumption that that by putting on the same glasses they were going to look and, and be the same as that person but now you can you go online you can find thousands of images uh that that kind of reflect what you want to say about yourself you can find people that 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 you associate yourself with um you can find people that look like you but then you'll see glasses and products that you won't have seen before unless you've been searching in this area and with a little bit of knowledge you can then start looking for independent opticians and that's the key word is, is independent because they're not governed by um, large makers who uh, insist that they have a certain amount of their product, the percentage of their product on the shelves, for example. Um, where I live in in Brighton, uh, there are three or four great independents. They all have different brands. Um, they all have just beautiful product and incredible pride in what they do. And you can go in and have a really interesting conversation with them. Uh, and they'll, they'll guide you. They'll help guide you. They won't try and push you in a direction. No, no good retailer does that. I get the impression that these days it is mainly smaller independence versus the death star of the optical industry, the huge, huge company. Uh-huh. Is, there, is there space left for the independence, really, or is, is it sort of smothering them? Well, like um, just about probably everybody in the world, when the, uh, when the lockdown, we had our first lockdown in the UK, which is kind of middle of March of, of this year, we became uh, somewhat nervous about what was going to happen in our industry um, and especially how these little independents were going to cope um, given that you know, there's pressure on, on commerce and the, you know, that, that everybody knows, so I don't need to go through that. Um, and what happened was there was, there was a, a fork in the road and people either went totally upmarket the, the sorry people the independent opticians either went totally upmarket and independent and selective about the brands that they carried and went deep into those brands or they decided that they were going to try and persuade people to buy products on the basis of price and there's been a complete dichotomy in the market and 
we benefited from the ones who were who were talking about the quality of product and, and, and investing in brands that that help them distinguish themselves from their competitors. Now, that's the key, I think, at the moment in in any retail. If you want to, if you, whether it's in fact whether it's online or, or whether it's physical retail, is having a distinctive product that says that you, as a retailer, know your market, know your know your industry, um, and can give good advice to the consumers that are going to come in. When you are competing with the Death Star and, and these huge conglomerates that buy brands, that have massive marketing spend, that have retail presence on the, on the high street and they have retail presence on, on the internet, these people, you, you don't, unless you look a little bit deeper, you don't actually realize what's going on. You know, there are some, some huge companies like Luxottica, like Safilo, uh, they own... An enormous amount of brands. I mean, they own lens companies, but you wouldn't know that. There's no reason why you know that. You're not going to see, um, you're not going to see Luxottica on the high street. You'll see it presented as, I don't know, David Clulo's in England, for example. Um, and you don't see that vertical integration, which is which is a massive dominance. And I think that there is, I, you know, I don't, um, I, I'm not disparaging about those companies because there's a place for them. Um, and there's a there's a role for them, and people want to have that kind of choice, and I think that's absolutely right. Um, but the independent opticians need to compete carefully and intelligently if they're going to if they're going to fight against those people, and they have to differentiate themselves. It's like any retailer. So we've got some brilliant clothing retailers, independent retailers in Brighton, and they offer that the experience of going shopping in Brighton is uh is very different to shopping in most other cities in the uk because there are a number of independent retailers there that offer a different product and the whole experience of shopping in those places is entirely different to shopping in london when looking at frames what 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 should you be looking for what are the different materials in use and pros and cons yeah there are lots so traditionally Plastic glasses, which is a word that we don't use all that often, but it defines what you see most of the time, uh, are made of acetate. And there are different grades of acetate. Um, but when you see a tortoiseshell pair of glasses or a, a, a black plastic pair of glasses or crystal, um, they're made of acetate. And you get different grades, different qualities of acetate. Um, but most of it now is made in one place in China. And there used to be two huge Italian companies. Well, the Italian companies still exist, but how much of their product is being made in Italy and how much of it is being made in the Far East is a different question. Um, and that's not to say that anything that, that they make in a different location outside of Europe is, is inferior, um, but it's certainly, when you change a factory, you, you, you change the properties of the product. So better or for better or for worse, that happens. Um, there's a lot of talk about biodegradable materials. There's a lot of talk about different types of metal. You can get glasses made of horn that you mentioned before. Uh, you can get glasses made of wood. But I think the most important feature, our glasses are made of acrylic. <laughs> I neglected to mention that. So if you, if you buy a pair of Kirk & Kirk glasses, they're made of acrylic. And acrylic is, um, is a material that, that we developed. There are lots of people trying to look for new materials to, for eyewear. Um, we were we were inspired to do this because we found some glasses that my grandfather had designed and they clearly weren't made of acetate and we couldn't quite work out the material, the plastic that they were made from. So we started 
uh, inquiring into that and, and really looking hard. And we, we just simply couldn't find it. So we went to find some materials that would achieve uh, the same results. Now, uh, we ended up in, in Italy with a, with a manufacturer of acrylic. And, you know, we had no idea. Like, we've had acrylic tables in our house or acrylic shelving. And in fact, there are tons of different types of acrylic. So when you delve deeper, you realize that you have to get the right malleability and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's beyond the material that you actually make the frame from. Then you have to look at the joints, for example. So how strong are the joints? How sturdy are the joints? How much um, wear and tear will they take? The way that the frame is actually put together is at least as important as the materials that are used. Uh, you get a very, very different different result. I mean, you've, you've got companies like um, Mikita, for example, and IC Berlin that develop surgical steel. And um, there, are some, there are some incredible companies around. And there are people now developing materials, using recycled materials uh, to make glasses as well. And every, every material has its benefits and its limitations. Um, but you should be able to feel, you know, you pick up a frame and just kind of like, just try and lose those preconceptions. If you pick up a plastic frame in a store, how does it feel to you? Does it feel sturdy? Does it feel well-made? Does it feel cheap? Because most cheap glasses actually do feel cheap, but when something's well-made and you put it on, it feels amazing. You, you know, if you, if you feel two inches taller when you put glasses on, then you've got the right glasses. What glasses would I need to feel six inches taller? <laughs> well, you need a pair of platform, <laughs> um, but, but glasses that, that really reflect your personality. You know, like most, most people walk into a store and like the store, 300, 400 pairs of, of frames on display and 280 of them as tortoiseshell. You know, what is the point of that? There are so many different aspects to to what you can achieve with a pair of glasses especially like this is so funny like look um how many of your meetings right now are on zoom you know, people see your face you can be sitting there with no trousers on people see your face and people are wearing crap glasses or jeremy corbyn's wearing a pair of glasses that are like three inches higher on the right hand side of his face than the left pay some attention to the only fashion item that people can see you wearing you know it's and if you've if you've got the right glasses on, you feel more confident. Um, you, you can you can achieve more. You can say more, express more about yourself without actually using words. And that's what makes you feel six inches taller. I'll tell you something interesting. I did have a long meeting recently, and I'm nearsighted, so I don't wear glasses in front of the computer. Now I feel that this makes it strange for people who know me because they're used to seeing me with glasses on. But on the computer, I'm not wearing glasses. So I took a spare pair and I removed the lenses from them and I wore just the frames. Now, I thought this was probably really, really clever. But then I sat most of the meeting wondering, can they tell that I don't have any lenses in my frames? Uh, so I was really self-conscious after all. <laughs> I, suspect, I suspect that most people couldn't tell. But I'll, I'll be watching, Nick. I'll be, I'll be paying special attention next time I see you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought it was a good idea, though, because um, I do feel quite bare without glasses on in video meetings. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, you, you get used to seeing yourself and other people get used to seeing you in a certain way. I mean, that, that's one tricky thing about not wearing glasses. It's also a tricky thing about changing your glasses. You think when you're used to seeing yourself with a certain shape frame on your face and a certain shape face, 
um, then when you change that, it's like, well, that's not me, um, but, I, but it can be. Um, but it, it's an interesting idea to have a spare pair of glasses with you. But generally speaking as well, I mean, so many, so much of the population, I mean, the figure used to be something like 60% of the population needs to wear glasses. It's probably much higher than that now with, with the amount of screen time that everybody spends from the age of about four. Um, pretty much everybody needs to wear glasses in some form or another. And if you have a proper eye test, and I should talk about that as well, um, go to an independent optician, I can't stress that enough, and have an eye test that should take at least half an hour because if it's a 15-minute whip-you-in-and-out vision test, they're not testing your health. But if you have a proper eye test, they can find health issues as well, and that's, that's a, a really good thing to do. Um, but once you've had your eye test, they can also tell you whether you're, um, what corrections your vision needs. And sometimes it's very different for close work and distance work. And you know, that's where things lenses like verifocals come in. Um, some people prefer to have near vision glasses, and middle distance glasses and long distance glasses, um, you know, for, for, for various different reasons. And people leave different pairs of glasses lying around the house in different places so they don't lose them. Um, yeah, you know, there are there are other ways around that as well. But um, yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's very very interesting to, uh, to to think about how you perceive yourself. You know, I can't imagine myself not wearing glasses. It's a weird thing. I have seen by accident pictures up. Well, I'll tell you, wearing um, wearing a mask when you go to the supermarket or whatever whatever it is that you're doing when you when you leave the house, wearing a mask uh, and having your lenses fog up. And being forced to take your glasses off if you want to see, and then taking your glasses off and realizing that you can't see very much without your glasses. So <laughs> it's a bit of a trap. It's a, it's a bit of a tricky one. Yeah, you mentioned uh, you mentioned sight tests, and I have to say that I don't know why, but I find that when I'm te- my eyes are tested, the results are very inconsistent. Because I have one test from a few years back. If I have lenses made up for that, they just work. And then I have a more recent test done at an optician who really took his time and very clever, lots of equipment and so forth. But that prescription just gives me headaches. Right. So first of all, there's a degree of tolerance in the machinery that they use. And there's you know, there's a degree of um, human involvement. I was going to say human error, but I won't use, I won't use that word error. Human involvement um, in taking a reading. So, you know, you get good opticians and not so good opticians. That's, that's part of it. But there's another part of the process which is incredibly important. Uh, um, when, even if the prescription is absolutely spot on in the lens, the lens has to be fitted in exactly the right position in the frame. So when you go to, when you go to an optician and you get your prescription and you buy a frame, they'll mark up the center of your prescription. And if you've got a verifocal, they'll mark the heights about where the different parts of your lens transition into another another prescription on your face. And if you don't get that exactly right, then you'll be looking at distance through a tiny little part of your near vision prescription. So that's that's very, very important. I mean, if you think about it, if you're buying lenses as well as frames, but if you're buying a, a complete frame online, that can be one of the big problems. I mean, that's one of the, one of the real issues. You know, like there are some companies selling nice looking frames and offering to fill your prescription online, but it's very, very difficult for them to actually measure the position of where the frame should sit. So if you get, for example, if you think about this, 
you know, when we when we publish uh, the size of a frame, we talk about the bridge size as one of the measurements. So the bridge size moves. You know, the variation in fairly standard frames is tiny. I mean, it's you know, two three millimeters from the from the smallest to the largest. But if you buy a frame where the bridge is too small, and it the frame is forced to sit a little bit higher on your nose, then the prescription is going to be in the wrong place. Now, if you're buying a frame online or you don't go to a good optician that, that actually not only considers how the frames look but how they're going to perform for you medically and how they're going to sit on your face, then you're running the risk of it not being well done. And that's, I mean, you've hit, Nick, on one of the, one of the key important reasons why you should see a, a well-reputed independent optician that's going to take time with you rather than just trying to save a little bit of money somewhere. Right. Because speaking of lenses, at least over here, lenses appear to be sort of the main cost of getting a pair of glasses. Uh, And you sort of wonder a bit about what you really need because, say, the basic lens is expensive, but then you have option upon option upon option, which will dramatically increase the price. You sort of... I'm a bit sceptical to everything, so I can sort of see that that's where their margin is. But what what do you need when it comes to lenses, and how do you know what you're getting? Well, uh, and that's the question, isn't it? How do you know what you're getting? And I think one of the one of the um, arts that opticians need to develop is to be able to communicate what value somebody's getting. Um, it's very hard for the consumer to understand why one. Verifocal, for example, is better than another verifocal. Uh, and without getting too technical, just to just to be clear, disclaimer here: I'm not an optician, but I've you know I've run optical shops. My dad was an optician. I've been in and around optics for thirty odd years. Um, you, the key at the at the lower end of the market, the key difference in lenses that you get. So if you just get a single vision lens with coatings, so an anti-reflection coating or a hard coating, it's usually the coatings that are the quality difference that you pay for. So if you're paying the difference between, I don't know, like a, a chain store might ask you for something like £100 for a single vision frame and single vision lenses, I beg your pardon, and an op- independent optician might say, well, look, actually you should be spending about £150, £180 on single vision. The main reason for that is usually that you've got better quality coatings. If you have poor quality coatings, you can't see it really when you when you buy them, but after a very short period of time, they start to peel and flake, and they don't do the job properly. Um, but you know, you're also paying for that that fitting of the frame, the position of the prescription. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then when you get when you get to a higher level and you start talking about more complicated prescriptions, you've got all sorts of different types of verifocal, and there are um, lots of reasons why people will try and suggest one type of verifocal over another one and it's not necessarily the most expensive one that is going to be the best for you um but often there are things of like like corridors of vision so the amount of area that you get to look through your sweet spot um those kind of things are the difference between a good verifocal and a bad verifocal the other thing that's really worth paying for if you have a relatively strong prescription is having the lenses thinned so they have a, an index of how thin you make your lenses. So, you know, my, my prescription is minus three um, in 
both eyes and it's kind of borderline about you know whether you should start thinning them down at that point and i do um but you can you can spend hundreds you can spend more than a thousand pounds easily on on a pair of beautiful thinned lenses that are going to last the course um, give you great vision it's such an important thing i mean you you mentioned that you get headaches if if you wear the wrong prescription you know you might be wearing the right prescription but the wrong frame or you might be wearing the right prescription and the right frame but they're not well fitted and you've spent a thousand pounds on a beautiful frame and beautiful lenses but because they're not fitted uh they're giving you headaches you're not seeing well and it's it's such a shame it's something that people hesitate to spend money on but it's so worth it it's it's so worth it yeah well, i can see how um how hesitant to spend a lot of money but then again it is so integral to our daily life that um i mean if you're going to be spending money on something it might be one of the smarter things to actually spend enough to get it right. Yeah, um, yeah, unquestionably. I mean, you, you go into an independent store, you look at independent brands that are, that are handmade, well-made frames. You you look at a budget of about, probably from about 300 to about 500 pounds for kind of middle to starting to get to high-end uh, well-made optical frames. And then you're going to look at at least that again for a pair of lenses. And I, you know, I, I, I'm a consumer. I, you know, whether I'm buying glasses or, or buying shoes or whatever it is, I make, yeah, jeans, yeah. I make those same decisions, and I've gone through those same processes and, and made decisions about, you know, shoes is, is a really simple one. You can you can find all sorts of shoes and all sorts of qualities. If they're not well fitted, it damages your feet, and it can actually cause physical damage. If you find a pair of shoes that you love that are well made that fit you perfectly you can walk in them forever and it's just you realize that spending twice what you would normally spend on that shoe budget was so worthwhile yeah so moving back to um sort of what glasses suit and what might be fashionable where where is sort of eyewear fashion these days right now um Eyewear fashion is about retailers. Well, in, in the independent section, it's about people distinguishing themselves from their competitors. So you'll see a lot of large frames, colourful frames, um, frames that are unapologetic and bold and statement frames. I think that it kind of goes back to what you said before, that you can't hide the fact that you wear glasses. So if you're going to wear glasses, wear something that's you. And most people consider themselves... Um, interesting <laughs> I think not many people would describe themselves as boring so why would you wear glasses that say you are boring you know it's a, why would you wear something ordinary some people want to be understated and, and kind of melt into the crowd a little bit more well that's absolutely fine as well but it doesn't need to be crystal or tortoiseshell or black to do that you can do that in so many different ways you, you know shades of blue and shades of grey and and just just different things that you can wear and and i mean there are so many options you talked about beautiful danish titanium frames and they're they're the almost the opposite of 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 what we do I mean, we make great big thick colorful frames that are exuberant and celebrate eyewear but also celebrate the personalities that wear them 
Whereas um, there's a, there's very much the opposite of like kind of rimless frames that are very understated and um, just kind of blend into the crowds and you have a choice. I think right now, if you go, when I think about the stores that, that I know that are near me, most of it is, is colorful and confident and bold. And it's about, it's about enjoying eyewear. You know, I think when I think about how I've like, we, you know, we've been pretty much locked down for eight, nine months and we, you know, there was a bit in the middle where we were going out, but most of our shopping and purchases have been done online. And when I think about what I've bought, um, and mostly kind of in fashion, I bought fewer items, but each of those items has been um, stronger in personality, if you like. Uh, and also I've paid a little bit more in terms of wanting to buy better quality. So I'll buy fewer things, but I'll buy better. And that should be the same in eyewear. That is kind of the mantra of the marketing world at the moment. This um, buy less, buy better, uh, really buy more expensive uh, something I've broached a few times on the podcast, where I, I thought the the old version of that was maybe sort of better, really, where it was buy better by once. Mm. But I have seen that whereas there has been a lot of focus on sustainability and people are sort of encouraged to buy less and so forth, it does seem that people are buying lots of stuff and <laughs> – what with this buy better buy less they are also spending more it's like um we've been given permission to actually move up market as you point out it's quite weird but i do know that i mean people do like shopping yeah there's a retail bug isn't there i mean i think people really miss going to the shops you see the queues outside shops and i just think yeah sometimes i look at i look at these places and i think have you really waited like two months and the first place that you want to go is primark but you know, you have to respect that people need their, their retail. I love Primark. Primark's great. I'm sorry I wasn't, I wasn't being uh, rude about them. But it's like people need their retail fix. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, we've seen, we've seen a, a, a huge increase. We've seen a doubling in our online purchases in, in the last nine months. I mean, that's, you know, that's because people are seeking out eyewear. They're, 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 trying, they're shopping differently. Yeah, yeah. I think people are also sort of sit, taking the time now to sort of fill the gaps they perceive in their yeah. in their closets and collections and whatnots. Yeah, I think that's the case. I think you can mix it up as well. I mean, I've not I've not really thought about this before, but when I think about um, when I think about my wardrobe, it's mixed. You know, there are some there are a couple of kind of um, key items in there, and then I'll mix it up with some. Yeah, there'll be there'll be a little bit of Zara in there, and a bit of Cos in there, and a bit of Uniqlo, and then there might be some like you know some some more expensive shoes, for example. Um, but I'll mix it up, and there's no reason as well why people shouldn't do that with eyewear. You know, if you if you need different glasses for different purposes, then well, you know, by all means, it's like you know, if you if you just need something to, to throw on or you need a spare pair, or whatever. I get that people need to you know, can't afford to spend thousand pounds like three times in the year because they've got different prescriptions and they need glasses in different places i have to admit that when i'm out running in the woods i don't wear expensive glasses ah they interesting. are they are 30 pound specials from hong kong <laughs> can you see all right through 
Oh, I see, fine. They're just, I mean, the frames are a bit wonky, but uh, they look sort of okay and the prescription's right and, I mean, they do the job. Uh, you will rarely see them on my Instagram photos. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think that's right. You know, it's why, why would you wear an expensive product for that? And at least uh, for running in the woods, I wouldn't, uh, if they fell off and I stepped on them, I wouldn't cry. Uh, so that would be okay. But if I did, if that did happen to one of my nice pairs, I'd be really upset. Yeah. So run smoothly, Nick. <laughs> I run like the wind, a breeze between the trees. Okay, moving on from the topic of fashion, how do people generally go about buying their glasses? That's that's a, that's a great question. Um, I think that most people are bombarded with marketing, advertising by the big players, um, and you can't help it. You know, I, I mean, I how many letters I've had through my my uh, box of, of uh, from our friends at Specsavers, or you know, how much you hear an advert from all the big players, all the big chains, and boots boots opticians in the UK. Um, all those people they bombard you. And so it's quite natural for people to think, oh, I need a pair of glasses or I've got a headache, I can't get my eyes tested. And you go to one of those chains. You might start looking online to see what's around, but you'll be drawn by names that you recognize, names that you see. And, you know, let's face it, like Google, Facebook advertising is so clever. They hear you talking about eyewear and all of a sudden there are all these amazing glasses adverts that appear on your screen. Um, but that's that's one way of, of, of doing things, and I think that's what most people do. It's kind of natural that people respond to that marketing. But actually, you know, take some take some time to to look for an independent store near you, and just go down and have a chat with them. Just go down and say, you know, why would I why would I spend three hundred pounds on a pair of glasses here when I can go to Specsavers and get a pair for fifty? And ask them that question. And if you're satisfied with the answer, then I think that that. Um, you know, you might decide you want to make that decision. Um, and if, you, if you're if you not satisfied with the answer, well, the optician hasn't done their job very well. Um, but there's usually a good reason for that. But, you know, the, the, most people just, it's, it's like that's the reason that people spend so much money on advertising and marketing is to drive people through their door. It takes a lot for me now as a consumer to get off my sofa and go and physically visit a store and if I think that they have something exceptional that I can't try or taste from the comfort of my own home, uh, and, I'm, and I'm excited enough by it and inspired enough by it to get off my sofa, go out my door, put my mask on, and go and try it on, then that, that's a good product. And that's what you really ought to feel about everything that you're buying, but particularly eyewear. You know, sit sit on your sofa, put your laptop on your knees or something in between your knees and your laptop so you're protected um, and look for something that makes you think, that is great. And it doesn't really matter about um, about pricing at that point. It's about finding a product that excites you, getting that emotion, that excitement, going to a store, trying it on, finding out about that product and then deciding, you know, is it price positive for you? Is it is it worth um exceeding the budget that you had in mind and does it really justify it will the lenses be good all those all those questions um see how you feel about it 
you know, but, but change the process. You know, it's, t- it's been changing. But, but put as much thought and effort into your glasses, which cost you, you know, let's, let's say a frame might cost you, the, the visible part of what other people see might cost you three or 400 quid. Um, but, you know, there are other items in your wardrobe that you've spent that money on. And ask yourself why you think they are more important, how often you wear them, what you get from them, not just like, you know, what usage you get from them, but what emotional um, comfort you get from them, what they say about you, and compare that with what you would spend on a pair of glasses that you wear every day. And I think that that's, that's the way that people should be thinking about eyewear. Mm. Now, there's a couple of things I wanted to ask you um, sort of in closing. Uh, well, the first one is really not really a question, but I've often wondered, how is it possible the human head is basically the same? You've got two eyes and two ears to hang the glasses yeah. on. How is it possible to make thousands and thousands of arguably more or less different designs to hang on those ears? It must be really tricky to be a spectacle frame designer. Yes. Um, I should I should wheel my wife in to to answer that question because um, Karen is our is our creative director and she does all the design. Um, there are the slightest changes in the shape of a frame can make a huge difference on a face. Um, there are things that that we look at when we're designing. Um, it might be contours of faces. It might be it might be bone structure, um, color, texture. Um, and then you've got things that, that, that you don't actually see, but things like weight. So, for example, one of the reasons that we work in acrylic is because it just weighs nothing. So they're incredibly comfortable. Um, you know, the, there's so much choice. And again, it's fashion. So sometimes you look back into you know, back catalogues and you look at 60s eyewear or 70s eyewear and that becomes, um, that becomes your mantra for a period of time it's like you know this is the image that we want to put across there's a huge variation in something that is so tiny we never you know we've been designing frames since 1992 and we never run out of ideas and at the moment we're sitting here we're looking at our new launches and we have three collections designed um all of which are equally exciting to us but it's about about making a decision about which one's right so timing comes into it as well um but yeah, there's there's so much to do. There's there's so much that you can achieve. You know, just when you thought that uh, the shoes have been designed every which way you could, um, somebody comes along and, and does something completely new and groundbreaking. It's the same with eyewear. Yeah, I was trying to think then what shoes have been new and groundbreaking, but I suppose that's mostly in the sort of sneaker world. Uh, where new fabrics, new techniques have allowed um, completely new styles to evolve. Um, of course, the challenge then is getting people to accept the new and not going for the old, I guess. Yeah. Um, it's comfort levels, isn't it, I guess? You know, how adventurous, how adventurous, how innovative do you want to be in the product that you wear and, and what does that say about you as a person? Um, are you different are you innovative are you trying to push back boundaries you know i have this conversation look part of the conversation that that we have with people when helping them decide what glasses to wear is is what they do for a living who they talk to what you know what environments they move in 
for example, um, if you're a, a graphic designer, what do you want to say about yourself? You know, well, well, there are lots of different types of graphic designer um, and people who do different things within that field. But, you know, perhaps you want to say something that reflects the style of work that you do, um, but also the personality of the person that your client is going to be working with. You know, do you want somebody, do you want somebody who's a safe pair of hands or do you want somebody who's innovative or do you want somebody who's minimalist in their approach? You can say all those things through eyewear. Um, do you want somebody who's adventurous but also knows when there's a time not to be adventurous? And it, it, you could, it's really funny. You think about a phrase like that and you think, oh, how can you do that in a pair of glasses? But you can. You know, and I guess that's my job. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a bit sort of, I've been sort of working my mind how to phrase this, but I'd be a bit concerned about choosing frames that were sort of too outgoing um, because I'd like to be seen as sort of fairly rugged and sensible uh, and certainly not very fruity. I mean, comfort levels, yes. I mean, wh where would you go with that? No, I think I, 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 that's absolutely fine. I mean, if you look at if you look at what we do, I can show you, uh, I can show you a shape which will fit you, and that's kind of the easy thing. Like finding shapes to, to fit people is is pretty straightforward. I mean, there's an art to it. Maybe I just find it easy because I've been doing it a long time. But but then most of our frames will come in ten colours. Now I'm unlikely to recommend uh, fuchsia to you because I don't think it reflects your personality. But I might recommend a midnight frame because it's blue-gray, it's interesting, it's subtle, there's something going on there, but it's slightly understated. Um, interesting and subtle, that's me. Yep, good. Yep, keep going. <laughs> um, but, but, but it is, that, that is what the art of this is. The art is as quickly as I can get into the core of your personality and what you want to say about yourself, what you think every item of clothing, even, you know, you can include your haircut in that. Everything, everything that, that's um, visual about you expresses about you. And what other people, what conclusions other people, because sadly people draw conclusions about the way that you look um, and, and the way that the sort of person that you are likely to be from the way that you look. And glasses are, are part of that, a really important part of that. Yeah. Have you ever thought about making a sort of online um, artificial intelligence um, quiz where you answer questions about your style and personality and you'll be recommended a look, a frame. Yeah, it, it's, um, it, we looked at, we, about 20 years ago, we looked at virtual reality um, approach to this and you go through a whole process of, of, of questions in the chain. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, there's a, there are some great new technologies out there at the moment. Uh, there's there's um, some amazing scanning machinery which will, will take incredibly accurate measurements uh, and allow you to understand or better understand what kind of frames will suit you, which will be right for your prescription. I mean, some incredible movement in technology as well. But one of the things that I think is quite important is to keep a human touch. You know, when it comes to styling, when it comes to styling clothing, let's just go back to clothing again. When it comes to styling clothing, I, you know, I don't really want to be taken through um, a chain of questions by a robot and told that these are the jeans that I ought to wear. But, I, you know, I know you can get that on various websites and quite often it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty accurate. You know, 
and they're fairly simple mundane questions and you end up with a pair of straight jeans in, in the right gauge of denim and that, that's absolutely fine. Um, we've done a combination of the two. So on, uh, on our website, we, we have a, a system called Personal Shopper and you can actually answer a few questions about yourself, just very, very simple, where you go, what you do, what you like, what you read, what you eat, um, what, you know, and then send a photograph and one of our design team will come back to you and have a conversation with you about the answers that you've given and the way that you look um, and recommend something. So there's a human touch as well as um, uh, a kind of a, a guidance through the questions as well that you get. I like, yeah, I think it's I think it's hard to take styling away from from real people, which maybe goes back to your question about whether opticians can be real stylists or not. Yeah, there's a couple of things that came to mind now. I was sort of thinking, I don't know if you saw, um, it was a few years back I was doing the pieces on this dot suit, which was a very innovative way for a, um, I think it was a Japanese online clothes vendor to make you help you find your size, where you'd start out by ordering this tight-fitting suit, two halves, covered in coded digital dots so you'd put this on and then you'd use your phone to scan your body and it would sort of work out exactly your measurements very innovative and it's pretty much worked it was um fairly reliable great idea and then you could order it in the app clothes based on these um sizings amazing unfortunately sort of the proof was in the pudding and the pudding didn't taste good because the clothes didn't actually fit that well. But the idea was fantastic. I was sort of thinking maybe you could sort of develop a dot hood, which you just pull over your head yeah. and scan to get your head shape. Um, I didn't want to go too far in that line of conversation, but I am, I am, um, yeah, okay. I am putting my uh, <laughs> hooded eye. Yeah. We'll, we'll leave the hooded eyewear for, for another occasion, but I'm, I'm putting in mind of when my son was in, in Vietnam and uh, he, he messaged me very excitedly because he'd found this fantastic shoemaker. Um, they were making absolutely amazing shoes and he wanted to get me some shoes. And uh, he was like, he was like, okay, well, look, we're going to do this. We're going to actually tailor make you a pair of shoes that will fit you perfectly. I'm like, you're on the other side of the world. <laughs> How's this going to work? And so he, he put this, this woman on and she said, right, get a piece of paper, draw around your foot. <laughs> it was just so, it was so Luddite. And I drew with a pencil around my foot and gave her like a, you know, across this bit is this to this and across this bit is this to this. And I gave her a, a sum of money, which I was quite nervous about parting with. And uh, my son brought the shoes home a few weeks later and they fitted perfectly. Um, and to this day, <laughs> they're beautifully made. Um, and to this day, they're incredibly comfortable. So, yeah, it sometimes, um, sometimes the technology is a massive, massive boost, and, and other times it's not quite necessary. I think I, there's um, we haven't really talked about the kind of 3D um, modeling of glasses. Uh, you get 3D printed glasses, uh, which are made to fit your particular uh, particular face and facial features. Um, yeah, that's quite an interesting development in technology as well. Um, but as you said, there's, there's, there's a limit to what you can do with those. There's, you know, you end up with something, there's some, some really good stuff to come from that. And it is part of our future. There's no question about that. 
But when you go to a good optician, they've got product in their store that should meet your needs. They should know. Or else they should know to tell you, should be confident enough to tell you to go somewhere else to find a particular thing that, that they know about. People know their industry. It's like tailors. You know, tailors, tailors know who makes uh, a certain type of stuff, even if it's not them. And, and that's a great experience. I think the importance of actually visiting a place and looking, feeling stuff is very important because I think part of the reason people are doing so much shopping online now is because shopping online, it doesn't give you that opportunity to try stuff on, to really look at things, to feel them, to really judge them. And it makes it very easy to, to buy stuff yeah. because I find that if I am actually in a shop looking at stuff, actually to taking out my card and buying something is a lot harder than if I'm sitting looking at stuff online and the only factors I have are the marketing factors I'm presenting with. So I buy, I mean, if I'm in the shop and try it on, there's a much larger success rate. Uh, the stuff I get sent home I mean, it's not always as good as I hoped it would be. That's interesting. And do you, when you when you buy online, Nick, do you buy? Uh, do you tend to buy from people that you've already bought from that you're confident with, or how often will you take a risk and buy from someone that you haven't actually transacted with before? Uh, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I mean, I do have brands I like, which tends to give a certain safety that sort of that brand in that size is a fairly decent fit and that brand in any size is a really crap fit for me um but it's just i mean it's fit sizing uh i'm a bit shorter than my weight should indicate which means that i'm sort of outside standard sizing anyway which i imagine is also a case with heads because my my head is also a bit large um, so any sort of one size fits all is one size won't fit me. I'm not going to brag about head sizes. I don't think that's a sort of braggable feature. But uh, <laughs> looking for a looking looking for a man with a large head, <laughs> I, but it does it does indicate that things aren't aren't easy always. Wait, yeah, it, it's got to be to do with the size of your brain. And you know, hats off to you. Congratulations. It, it's um, I, I had a, uh, an experience recently where I lost quite a lot of weight um, and nothing fitted me in my wardrobe. And that was weird. That was because, because the people that you're confident with, I, I went straight to the brands that I knew to replace my um, some of my wardrobe with, with things that I was comfortable and confident with. And my, my body shape had changed. And I had to start again. And it was really weird. And some of those brands didn't work with the new svelte me. The only solution to that is pucker pies. Pucker pies. <laughs> you have to <laughs> regain your old self. You're going to have a lorry coming outside your house delivering a crate load of pucker pies now. It's fantastic. I'm sure I'd say that. In closing, I always like to ask my guests about their take on sustainability. Mm. Now, now, you mentioned uh, that compostable frames had emerged do you think sustainability is a big issue in the highway industry at all i think it's a huge issue in every industry and uh 
that we each of us has that level of, of responsibility that we have to take seriously. Um, it's at the moment the possibilities in eyewear or specifically in the frames are relatively limited. So there are people making eyewear from incredible stuff. Like, you know, there's a company uh, making eyewear from old fishing nets that they're, they're finding on beaches and finding in the water and stuff and, and waste that they find by the sea, which, which is incredible. Um, when it comes to recycling acetate or acrylic, there are only certain things that they can do with it to recompose it. And so the, the, colors and patterns that you get afterwards are limited. Now you, you trade that off against the sustainability aspect of it. Um, and, and you have to make some decisions. And we're all having to make some sacrifices or, or positive moves, as some people prefer to call them, um, in order to support sustainability and help contribute to climate change. I think the eyewear industry is um, very, very aware and trying to do things in that direction um, with with varying degrees of success. But, you know, by all means, as a consumer, ask the optician, ask the frame designers. You know, you, you can, when you've got a small independent company, you can very quickly access the real decision makers in those companies. You can write to them with, with direct questions and you often, more often than not, get an answer from somebody right at the top of the company. And put pressure on those people. Ask them about the sustainability of their brands um, and, and see what you get. The more people that ask optics to contribute in that department, the, the more and the faster it will happen. Yeah, I'm just sort of thinking that maybe the eyewear industry is fairly small and high-hanging fruit compared to many other industries. But I guess there's, sort of worldwide there's a really a, a pretty huge volume in it well there is I, you know you can say that about about cars like you know my car um if it's electric is a, is a very small contribution to climate change but then if everybody changes their car to an electric car then it's going to make a, a big difference um i wear i wear has a long way to go but uh it has a contribution to make and uh, it, it's it's certainly part of the conversation that that, um, that is happening within our industry. I mean, there's all sorts of, uh, of things that, that don't necessarily immediately come to mind. But for example, just the packaging, just the packaging of eyewear. You know, how how biodegradable is that? Is it is that recyclable? You know, that that should be. In my ex in my experience, not very much because it's a lot of plastic boxes and lots of sort of additional bits and pieces and. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I mean, we certainly look at that. We, you know, um, they're just just little silly things. I mean, at, at one point we were making the most beautiful glasses cases out of leather. Well, you know, a few people said we shouldn't be using leather, and we thought about that. We had conversations about that. You know, there was there was a time when the conversation was, well, if you're using PVC or, or plastic imitation leathers, well, it's a it's a cheap product. Well, no. You know, now the conversation is completely reversed. And it's like you, if you're using um, uh, an imitation leather, then that's a good thing. So it's about being aware and about listening to developments and trying to respond to those developments and being preemptive as well in, in all parts of your industry. For example, the little sachets. I and mean, when we go through 
tens of thousands of sachets that, that we, we house our glasses in every year. Well, they need to be biodegradable. You know, it's just a little thing. And it, it sounds like it might not have a, much of an impact on, on the environment. But if every company did that, then it would make a huge difference. Mm. I think when it comes to the, the cases for glasses, I, I'm of a mind where if you're going to make one, make it so nice and long-lasting that it's usable. Otherwise, just make it out of cardboard because yeah. it's going to be binned. Yeah, absolutely. And But when it comes to leather versus what they now call vegan leather, I mean, that is a tricky one because it's uh, you're sort of putting environmental aspects up against uh, perceived ethical yeah. aspects. And I'd argue that leather would be better than the oil-based PVC vegan leather type stuff. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not not an easy answer. It's not an easy answer, and I, but I, I mean, I think what you said prior to that about um, having a product that is beautiful and that you want to keep and that will last the distance—that's um, that's, that's uh, important too. So people don't have to keep buying new cases, or it shouldn't be disposable. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Okay, Jason, I think uh, we've uh, used up our time now. This was uh, this was great, and um, thanks a lot. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, really nice talking to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. And that concludes this week's episode of Gumology. Thanks to Jason Kirk for being a great guest. Um, you can find his company at kirkandkirk.com. I am uh, Nick Johannesson, host and, well, everything else of Gomology Podcast. If you'd like to get in touch, send me a tip for a possible guest, an idea for a subject, or even just say hi. The email address is gomology at welldressedad.com. If you like the podcast, you might like the blog as well, welldressedad.com. You might even like to follow me on Instagram as, well, you guessed it, welldressedad. And uh, hope to um, see you again. Bye-bye.